Are you a music school owner looking to scale your program from just a handful of teachers to a highly profitable, well-organized, and mission-driven company? Well, I'm Nate Shaw, co-founder of the Brooklyn Music Factory. And I'm Daniel Patterson, founder of Grow Your Music Studio. And we're here to help you discover a proven pathway to sustainable growth in your music school. So get ready to take your passion for music education and scale it to a seven-figure music school. Hey, welcome back to the Seven Figure Music School podcast. In this episode, we are talking about an important first hire as you plan to scale your school. This person is important to your growth and scale. They aren't full-time. They won't be a huge expense, but the value you can get from this person is immense. Nate, who is this hire? Who is this important Mm. person? One of my absolute favorite roles at Brooklyn Music Factory, this is your bookkeeper slash, I like to call her in our case, part-time CFO. Very part-time CFO, but bookkeeper is what what they're known as. Okay. Why are they so important to Brooklyn Music Factory? Oh, there's so many reasons, but let's just, let's just be really simple here in some of the things that they do. The bookkeeper is basically uh, your checkbook reconciler, your um, keeping of all your um, anything money related organized. Um, they are also an auditor of expenses. Anytime they see an expense coming through your QuickBooks or whatever tool you use, they raise a red flag and go, hey, Nate, why is this such a high expense? I haven't seen this before. Um, and primarily, they're just basically your daily, weekly, monthly organizer of anything money related in the company. So that's what I think of when I think mm. of um, our bookkeeper. Okay. Was the bookkeeper, other than teaching staff, we called them among the first hires. I've heard you refer to this person as an important first hire. Was it actually your first hire at Brooklyn Music Factory? I'm not trying to put the screws on you here. I'm just curious. Yeah. You know, our very first version of this role was a neighbor who is the mother of a student at Brooklyn Music Factory. And you're accurate. Uh, she was our my first administrative support. So hmm. I ran every other fast. I wore every hat at Brooklyn Music Factory in year one, except, and I started by being the bookkeeper and quickly realized <laughs> I needed someone who had an expertise in this. And she came in. So it was my first barter. <laughs> in her uh, case. Bartering but lessons. I have never looked yeah. back. I, yeah, bartering. I have never looked back, Daniel. I haven't been like, uh, I think I'll go back to doing payroll. Nope. Okay. okay. Now, I do want to acknowledge up front here. We're, we're only a couple minutes into the episode. A listener, if you're listening and you already have a bookkeeper, I wouldn't necessarily turn off the episode just yet Mm. Uh, because we're going to dive into this role. We're going to talk about it. I'm sure there are insights to be had here um, as I look at the, or as I contemplate the things I've heard Nate say around this role. Uh, So Nate, I want to tell you a little bit about my first hire. And I'm curious if, because it wasn't a bookkeeper, um, my first hire was like an administrative assistant. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I really am curious. Um, 
Did you have someone in your school operating in an administrative capacity? Maybe it was just a teacher that was doing some administrative things. Or, or was it really a case where you still were doing every bit of admin? I know you had like a, a, a co-owner. Maybe they were doing admin. I, I'm just curious. Mm. I'm trying to put this into perspective for folks because for, for it to be the very first hire, that's a pretty significant that's a pretty significant fact. So I'm just wanting to really explore this. Yeah, it's a, it's good. It's good to get real on it. I, I would say um, the very first year of Brooklyn Music Factory, I was doing all of the administrative work. Okay. I was running payroll. We were using, I think we were using Music Teacher's Helper then, which was kind of helping me organize a bit. Um, it's got a new name now. You know, it's, I can't remember what it is. But yeah, Duet Partner. What is it? Duet partner. Duet partner, dig it. Mm-hmm. So duet partner. Nice. So anyways, we were using the p- predecessor to that. And um, yeah, the only thing I did, uh, Daniel, was I'd contract out like a web person. Mm. You know, like I had someone build out the site. Um, mm. But I think I was doing everything. Uh, and then, but to be clear, like... um. Money is the fuel of your business, right? right? Like if you don't have cash, you're not paying your teachers. If you don't have cash, um, you're not paying your rent. If you don't have cash, there's your, your whole vision comes to a screeching halt. So I think it's fair to say that at least in one of the first few hires, maybe yeah. if it's not the very first one, you need a money person on your team. You need to be building your money team as soon as you feel comfortable doing it and you're ready to invest some of your intellect into it. I don't want to take for granted that everyone here knows what a bookkeeper does. Okay. On the other hand, I don't want to get mm-hmm. too far into like describing that role in nitty gritty detail. Maybe in a pr- let's have an appropriate level of detail for what the bookkeeper does <laughs> for Brooklyn Music Factory. You know what I mean? Um, because you <laughs> yeah. you were mentioning some things earlier about the value of what they, you know the checkbook reconciler, like those sorts of things. Um, uh, mm-hmm. So maybe we go one level deeper and and tell me. Uh, what they do for BMF. And then I think we can get into kind of the value they provide. And I think that gives us a really great space to start talking about things that, you know, I know that I missed initially before I had one, which I do now, of course. Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, What do they do for you? I might volunteer a few things myself. Yeah, please do. So um, at Brooklyn Music Factory, our current bookkeeper takes care of QuickBooks. So every time there's an expense, she reconciles it. Hmm. She puts it in the correct category. Is this an expense associated with marketing? Is this an expense associated with the cost of labor? Is this rent? Right? So that's their primary gig is anytime you're spending money, they're reconciling it to the correct expense uh, line. Anytime you're making money, they're reconciling it to the expense income, the correct income line rather. So we, we only sell four things. We sell private lessons, um, uh, group classes, band program, um, camp, and birthday parties. So she needs to just be making sure that the income is going into the direct, the correct category. So that's first and foremost what they do. The mm. second essential thing that they do is that they run your payroll, mm. right? So there is 
I mean, I'm just saying it outright. If you are a school that's got teachers, you already know the value of this. You must make sure that your teachers are compensated on time every time. Mm. You got to have a, a money partner in that category, in that realm, because, um, you know, there's no quicker way for your whole vision to unravel than to not pay your teachers for them to be disgruntled and they quit. Mm. Right. They think you don't care just because you didn't get your payroll right. So. The second most important task is running payroll. And I would say, honestly, the third most important task is just organizing all of your books when it comes to tax time, because they hand off the books to your accountant. That is a unique position. It is not the same as bookkeeper. Yeah. So that's if I were to just be like, here are the three things, it would be that. Yeah. Reconcile, put them in the correct category, income and expenses, make the payroll, get ready for tax time. Okay. There are, there are two things that I want to highlight here myself. I'm going to add to your list. One, I have found it to be very helpful for my bookkeeper and accountant to work for the same organization. Mm, Because yes, my bookkeeper uh, and my accountant, they're all the same firm. She owns the, my accountant owns the firm. She has bookkeepers that works for her. The level of, of efficiency between those two people is so high. When it comes to tax time, I barely have to do anything every year. I don't have to arrange conversations with them. I don't have to get in a three-way conversation. There is so much transparency that literally the bookkeeper just, you know, forwards over. And since he works for her, (laughs) there's, um, there's a level of familiarity that they have that, you know, I hate to say it, but you know, we're all humans here and humans sometimes don't play well together. And you could be in a situation where you have two organizations and and someone says the wrong thing, rubs someone the wrong way. And, and then you've got friction there. I've just never experienced that. It's wonderful. That isn't necessarily a role. I just wanted to kind of point that out that if you can get that kind of synergy, it's really helpful. I love that tip. One other thing that, uh, that maybe falls more into the role category is I have almost viewed the bookkeeper that I'm working with uh, as it really truly isn't a coaching role in the way that I think of coaching, but there, but there's a concept in coaching that I think applies. And that is a good coach will just be a second set of eyes in your business. Now, obviously Mm. a really great coach goes deeper and then the things that they see, they can, they can bring insight. I don't really count on my bookkeeper Mm. for that, you know, but it is fascinating how he has just sent me an email usually once a month, once he's got the books reconciled and he just makes these observations. He catches these little things. It's so helpful. Mm. Yes. I love that. That's, uh, uh, can I ask you a follow-up question actually, because I like sure. your first tip. Uh, and then I want to drill down into your second comment, because I think when you said, hold on, if you already have a bookkeeper, don't stop listening. This is actually the meat of the episode, honestly. Yeah is what you're talking about here. Um, and I think we're going to, this is the, this is what was so enlightening to me. And I think, so you've been really gotten a lot of benefit out of having that money team um, shed some light onto your, onto your business. Um, can I ask you a question though, about your first one? Do you think that your bookkeeper needs to be geographically? Does it matter if they live in your city? Does it matter if you have a, uh, you know, a relationship with where you're going to their office Etc. Have you is is yours local? I have only ever worked with accountants 
and bookkeepers that I've never met. I've never had one in person. (laughs) So they've literally all been virtual. Um, I don't know why that's the case. Even as I look back at my first admin assistant for my studio, lived 700 miles away from me. I never met her in person, but she ran my studio for years. I don't, I, I don't know why I have a level of comfort with that. So, I, but I just do. So I can't compare. I can't compare. But it's been okay. Right. It's been great. It's been fine. Yeah, same for us. Except for our accountant is very local. Mm. Super OG Brooklyn accountant, where you go into mm. his office and yeah. there's like stacks of Manila folders and dust everywhere. The same CD sitting on top of his CD player that was there <laughs> a year last ago, year and the year right. before. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, heart of gold, love the guy and he's great at his job. But I just I was always curious because I think a lot of people um, who are listening, uh, one of the biggest resistance points is around trusting somebody else with, you know, the, the business's money. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people need that local connection to, to build that trust and be willing to hand over the books and let them make uh, really be in charge of it. Um, but it turns out in both of our cases, no, it's always been remote. In fact... You know, our current bookkeeper is in California. We're on, in New York. And, um, you know, many times she just won't turn on her video because it's too early in the morning when we're meeting. She's like, yeah, it's not a video day. Like, I'm literally still. Like, That's funny. <laughs> you know, she's gotten her kids off to school. But anyways, it's funny. So it's like she's not ready to present on camera. But it doesn't matter. We're always sharing screens and getting into it. And it's great. Okay. Let's go back to your last point, Daniel, around how they act as a. They're, they're sort of a, it's like they're a thought partner, right? Yeah. Like they raise questions for you and then they actually ask you questions where, at least this has been my experience. So our last bookkeeper was with us for seven or eight years um, and we had an amazing run together. And he mm-hmm. would, he and I would spend a lot of time sort of raising questions. Like, I wonder why this is happening in the business. And mm-hmm. he would ask me questions about things like, you know, certain financial reports we talk about, like the profit and loss, the income statement, the balance sheet, et cetera, where I'd be like, early on, I was just like, dude, I don't know about that. Like, what am I supposed to know? Tell me what I don't know and I'll go, I'll go learn more. So tell me in your case, Daniel, what, what was maybe one of the first times where you were like, wow, this bookkeeper is actually like a thought partner. My bookkeeper is enlightening me in ways that I wasn't, I, 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 in ways I wasn't expecting. I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions. The mere presence of this person took me to a new level of business acumen in that financial bucket. Simply by him doing the job, I spent less time wrangling the numbers and spent more time analyzing the numbers. That's really good. Bingo. That's really, really helpful. Obviously, that yes. was nothing. He, he had to do nothing but exist for that to happen. So that doesn't really answer your question. To answer your question, I could give a lot of examples. I would say that to categorize them, 
It's been extremely helpful for him to catch mistakes. It's been extremely helpful for him to ask questions about certain expenses where he's not intimately familiar with the business, but just hearing his question makes me think about the expense in a different way. We've talked about, we've talked about how to categorize expenses. Uh, And, you know, to some degree he has acted as a coach where I had a certain perception of, Oh, this should be in that category. And he says, no, that isn't that category. Um, I've learned things from him just in him talking about the difference between this kind of expense and that kind of expense. Does this affect gross revenue? Sorry, not gross revenue. Um, Is, is this an expense or is this a uh, or is this like, you know, cost of labor? I think you see the point I'm getting at there. Like just even in how those things play out, what general accounting principles are, all of this is helpful. Yeah. Now, I realize most of us didn't get into uh, music when we were six years old, so we could eventually learn gap accounting, uh, you know, general accepted yeah. accounting principles. But here we are now, and we're wanting to run a really good business. <laughs> and to go back to our previous episode, the level of financial transparency that you have, because you, Nate, are working with a good bookkeeper, results eventually in you having such financial acumen that you're running a school that has a much lower percentage of, of revenue going out to pay um, uh, cost of labor expenses and those sorts of things. These two things are inextricably intertwined. Yes. And that knowledge is, is what eventually allows you to make a system like that happen. You don't become that good without picking up some things. And, and so motivationally, I knew that as I learned some of these things, even if I, they weren't the most exciting things I was ever going to learn, they certainly weren't as exciting as learning marketing or sales. Uh, mm. But you know, eventually you have to grow up. And part of that growing up was just me sitting in my office thinking like, you know, there's this whole section of these business books that I'm not reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, Maybe you I should read them. We were- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when we were talking about um, the Vern Harnish book, you brought yeah, that up. And that's exactly what, what I'm episode, talking about. What episode number? Yeah, like... Um, I think it was episode 13. You said two things. I want episode 13, five mm-hmm. books, five must-read books for yep. Daniel and Nate, I think. And and you made some really good points around there, around that last point of just, it's time to grow up and time to be aware of what you don't know. Yeah. Um, there's two things you touched on, and then I want to get into why people don't seem to invest in a bookkeeper or make the move, okay? In okay. my perception of why people continue to think they can wrangle the numbers on their own. You said, I spent less time wrangling the numbers and more time analyzing. Here's the deal. When you're wrangling numbers, by the time you're done wrangling, you're exhausted. You're too tired, and you have nothing left in the tank to actually do the important work, mm-hmm. which is analyze the numbers. Yeah. Right. It's sort of like that dopamine hit, like you check off all the tasks on your to do list that really aren't moving the needle. But then you're like, ah, look how much I I got done. Look how much I got done. Yeah. (laughs) Look how much I got done. Like numbers are so dangerous that way, dude. You can like organize your spreadsheet, reconcile all your expenses in QuickBooks and like, look, look at me go. (laughs) But but we're not actually (laughs) digging into what matters. Of course, that's a necessary step. So, the other thing is, is that um, a bookkeeper, and you made this point, you said they're not emotionally connected to the business in the same mm-hmm. way that you are, right? So I once had, um, 
one of our bookkeepers actually, we just brought her on as a consultant for a year to help us with some things. And she said something to me that stuck with me so much. She's like, Nate, you need to look at the data. You can't analyze your way out of this or rationalize your way out of what the data is actually telling you. And so bookkeepers are amazing. (laughs) They're like notorious for this. They're Mm -hmm. just like, you know, we do our month in review with, uh, I just did it last week. And they're like, here's what actually happened. You thought this is going to happen in your business. And here's what actually happened. It's called a budget versus actual. And our bookkeeper, uh, Leah, just walks us through Mm. line by line. You said you were going to spend $3,000 on digital marketing. You actually spent $4,200. She's like, "Uh, is there something I need to know there? You know, and I love that because they're just looking at the data and asking you point blank. They're not like, well, I know it was just so exciting. So let's just spend $4,200 because you got all excited about your marketing. She's just like, what happened? Hmm. Um, and, and I just think that you can't, you can't overemphasize that you need thought partners that aren't like emotionally at the ground level in your school, um, you know, uh, connected to every single dollar that's going in or coming, uh, that's coming in or going out. You need someone who's just like kind of got a cold view on it, Mm. you know? Um, Yes. So I sort of, I I made a list, Daniel, before we were going to do this of all the reasons why I thought um, listeners might not have a bookkeeper. Like they're like, well, no, I'm still doing it myself. I'm cool doing payroll. I got this. I can reconcile QuickBooks in a couple hours a week. Why should I pay someone? Right. Um, can I read you that list and then have you yeah. comment on it? See yeah, what you, please. What, what you might add to it. Um, so, like, here's a here's I, I came up with like seven. The first mm-hmm. reason that uh, listeners may not be adding to their money team and bringing on a bookkeeper is that they just have deeper money issues, and they're avoiding them. Like they're afraid that a developing relationship with a bookkeeper threatens to bring those issues to the surface. Mm-hmm. And they just aren't ready to actually face those issues. They're like, eh, I'm going to keep them buried for a while longer. Right? <laughs> I wonder if that resonates with anyone listening. Um, the second is they see zero connection between hiring and retaining teachers, which is mostly where their heads are, and a bookkeeper's role in their school. They just, mm-hmm. they don't actually see any connection there yet. So they're like, bookkeepers are totally not at all related to my teachers and their well-being. When in fact, it's, it's, it's like you said earlier, you can't see the connection until you get in there with them and really, like, oh, wait, I'm spending 72 cents of every dollar on my teachers. No wonder I'm struggling in other facets of my business. You know, mm. um, and this one I love, we hear this all the time. They're still holding on to this idea that they can cover every single role in the business, including areas that they have little or zero expertise in or interest in. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, like, it's totally cool if you're listening and you're like, but Nate, Daniel, I don't have any interest in profit and loss statements or reconciling books or knowing the percentage of my cost of labor. Why would I hire someone who would then make force me to do something I don't want to do? I get it. <laughs> but that's just an avoidance. Like right. that's an avoidance, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. A couple other things. They're afraid that the book. Oh, sorry. I like this one because we hear this often too. Um, their personal finances and their business finances are so intertwined 
that they are too embarrassed to even show a third party hire, like a bookkeeper, what's actually happening under the hood. Hmm. That probably, let's just let that sit for a minute. For all of our listeners that have their personal bank account and their business bank account, like intimately connected, sit with that for a minute. You're afraid that a bookkeeper is going to get an inside view on your personal life. And you're like, whoa, I'm not ready for that. Thoughts, Daniel? Or a corollary. Yeah, no, this is a very quick corollary. Or you really just view the business and the personal as one thing. And so you don't think you need to split them apart. Like, not that the business is your personal piggy bank like the Bluth family in, in the show Arrested Development. No, I'm talking more <laughs> like, um, not in that inappropriate way, but just well, I'm a single teacher studio or I'm a studio and I have a couple teachers and I'm carrying most of the load of students. We have 80 students. I'm teaching 50 of them and then I have three other teachers teaching 10 apiece. It's, I'm really just taking all the money from the school and I'm paying a little bit out to these folks. Like, What's the point? Like that could yeah, be another totally. that could be another reason why that I think is a corollary to what you just said there. What's the next one? Yeah, I love it. Uh, I don't know what number we're on on the list, so I'll just keep <laughs> going. But <laughs> they're afraid that a bookkeeper will either a say they do not have a viable business. Right? It's it's sort of like being afraid you're going to be exposed. Hmm. You know, for the fraud that you are. This is like the imposter syndrome. Let's be clear here for a second. If you have no idea what's going on under the hood financially, it doesn't matter. Like you don't know if you're viable or not viable. You can't get viable until you know what's going on under the hood, right? Um, Everybody has a viable business, by the way. It's just there. Some might need more work than others. But the second thing is they're afraid a bookkeeper will laugh at the way their books have been kept if they've been kept at all. So there's a lot of ego in it. Right. Mm. Again, they don't want to really show someone they're dirty. They they keep the door closed in their bedroom rather than let anybody look at the mess. You know, right. it's like uh, better if nobody goes in there. Um, <laughs> okay, next. And you you commented on this, and this is so important. People think they can't afford this role, and so they're just yes. trying to establish that it's not worth it. Like they have no idea even what it costs annually to have someone on your team part time to do it, so they've just already convinced themselves that they can't afford it. Um, and what you know what the corollary to this is, Daniel, is that is that you're just basically undervaluing their time, right? You're yeah. thinking, ah, eh, that level of expertise is only isn't really worth it, and you're actually overvaluing your time, thinking that you can just go in there and be that role. Um, when in fact you really don't have the expertise to do that, mm. um, you're and you're at the end of the day. I mean, you talk about this all the time. You're actually misusing the most valuable resource you have, which is your time. Yeah, you know, it's just a total misallocation of your hours. Um, okay, I got one more for us, mm, and then I have a thought. Their their margins. You talked about this uh, earlier. Their margins in their business are so razor thin, thin that they just they just can't imagine adding a cost. Yeah, right. They're just like they're like no way could I add another role and a cost a monthly expense. My margins are already like I'm barely making anything. Hmm. Two thoughts. I have to sit in the last one. Yeah. If the margins are that thin. 
that you can't imagine adding, then it's probably appropriate to solve your sales and marketing problem first. It's tough to say I'm not trying to to walk back everything we've said in this episode. Um, But I also put in there, maybe part of the reason why margins are so thin is because you haven't had the visibility on the numbers and it's biting you. Now, here's the second thought, and it's closely related to the first. Most of the time when I see someone not doing the thing that they should be doing, especially when it comes to bucket three, it's they just don't realize the importance of it. And so why would they spend something? It's almost like buying a piece of furniture for a room they don't have and thus don't need. Like, why would I spend money on that when I don't even know what to do with those numbers after I get these real, this really clean mm. P&L report from them or this nicely categorized list? Like, it's just going to sit in a desk drawer somewhere. This is where you have to jump out on faith, kind of like I did. And at one point you had to do, Nate, and say, well, if, if, successful, if every successful business owner I know is doing this or nearly every successful business owner I'm doing this, right. maybe I owe it to myself to educate myself a little more in this role. And at that point, it comes just down to the baseline for all advancement, whether in business or in your personal life, self-management. The time and the discipline to actually do the thing you know you need to do. And you and, and you take a leap of faith that it, it will uh, reward you. It'll pay off in the long term. The question yeah. I would ask you, Nate, coming out of this would be um, – for those who already have a bookkeeper, for maybe those who are a little more advanced in business or they're running a half million dollar a year school, maybe you know getting close to a million dollar a year role, is there anything that you would say to these folks? Is there any advice you'd give to these folks, uh, things they haven't considered, um, anything that might be helpful to them? Um, well, first of all, congratulations on hiring <laughs> an essential role. <laughs> it's really, really, uh, sure. you're, you're wise. And you know already know and feel the benefits. What I would say is that in my um, sort of eleven years since we've had this role, um, I would say begin to open your mind to the possibilities of what I what we were what I was referencing earlier, which is like part time CFO. First of all, look up the term CFO if you don't know what a chief financial officer is meant to do, what that role does, because it's a fascinating one. It's, it gets back to the analysis piece, right? Um, here are a few things that uh, I do with our bookkeeper at Brooklyn Music Factory, and we do it either um, monthly or we do it quarterly or annually. So let me share a few of these that um, I've gotten a lot, a lot of benefit from. The first I already referenced, which was a budget versus actual report, and we do that every single month. So basically, the books close, say, on the first of the new month, takes them a few days. So by like the eighth or tenth of the following month, um, you know, Leah comes to me and says, okay, here's our budget versus actual. And, and what that means is you've decided that you thought, you've forecasted rather, that this is what the school was going to do. This is how much you were going to spend to generate this much money. That's basically what a forecast means. And then... Your account, uh, your bookkeeper comes back and says, "Let's take a look at how accurate you were, how close you were to hitting your actual um, versus what you budgeted," and they highlight fluctuations 
and basically mm. significant disparities in the budget. And that is so fascinating if you'll just open your mind up to that event and that conversation and see what questions get raised when um, those disparities are shown to you. Uh, it also really helps you begin to wrap your head around how to improve your forecasting as you move forward. Because as you mentioned before, Daniel, if if this relationship's developing, then that bookkeeper becomes your thought partner in designing the financial future of your company. That's mm. so, so valuable. You do not want to design the financial future of your company alone, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You want, you need a thought partner. You need somebody who you can bounce ideas off and say, hey, am I being too optimistic? Am I being not optimistic enough? What questions am I forgetting to ask? Um, the next thing is that each year, um, you know, we go through a year over year comparison of key expense lines. So for example, actually we do it, I do it, I do it every quarter, but then we create an annual comp sheet. Basically I can look back as far as right now I, I do like five years back, like what percentage of all the money we made, mind, mind you, I'm saying percentage, not how many dollars I spent. Cause as your company grows, you're just focused on percentages. Mm. What percentage went to rent? What percentage, as you said, went to cost of labor? What percentage went to, um, you know, uh, paid digital marketing. Those are examples of three key lines that I look at and I compare every year. So Hmm. that bookkeeper actually gets you to start thinking comparatively year over year from previous years and then imagining where you want to go in the future. And when I say imagining where you want to go in the future, Daniel, you know this about me, like I want to zero in on one or two areas of the company where I think we can improve the operating expense. Right. I'm like, okay, wait, we're spending 14% on rent. The national average is about 6 to 8% for businesses like ours. How can I get that 14 down to like 11, which would be appropriate for Brooklyn, New York, right? Mm. So that's the next thing. Um, and kind of hitting the last piece is just looking at your income, right? I want to know what a percentage breakdown of all the different products I have is. Yes. You know, you and I were talking about this a little bit before the episode, right? Daniel, you were saying like, hey, um, you know, in the case of Grow, it's like you have different you have different courses, et cetera. You know, in the case of Brooklyn Music Factory, like I want to know what percentage of all income is going to is generated by private lessons, by group classes, by camp, and by birthday parties. And why do I want to know that? Because I want to know where I'm gonna put my attention in the future. Right. So we made a very clear choice, for example, at Brooklyn Music Factory back in 2016 to grow camp as a percentage of our gross income. So I'm looking at this sheet right now. And in 2016, it was 24% of our income. And by the time we reached 2020, uh, sorry, 2019, it was 30% of our gross income. And our income went up by, you know, half a million dollars over that. So but the percentage is what mattered. So if you're going to try to grow your percentage of a specific offering, let's say you're going to, you know, you want to bring on something like Piano Express and have a group piano class in your school. Well, you're starting at 0% of the, of the gross income is from group piano, right? So Daniel, I'm going to ask you, because I know you're deep in it right now. Huh. Um, where, where would you imagine group piano as a percentage of a school's income being? 
if it starts at zero percentage, would you want it to be, let's say it was a school like Brooklyn Music Factory that did private lessons, bands, and maybe we we're going to add as its own line, something like group piano. Do you ever think in those terms when you're uh, working with other schools? I think it's tough to answer that question because of the unique nature of each school. So an all piano, a school that's all piano already is likely going to, mm. is likely going to uh, stay at 100%. Obviously that's a really obvious answer. This is where there's a little bit more of a subtle answer. And that is, uh, and this is where you're kind of getting more into those, some of these advanced concepts, but Every lesson that gets delivered, if you're if you are in a physical location, takes up a certain amount of floor space, and it takes up a certain mm-hmm. amount of time. And what a group program like that can do is expand the percentage of revenue, not necessarily because obviously revenue is going to expand the more students you have. That's how you do that, um, right? So the revenue would likely stay the same. Okay. Like if you had a hundred piano students before, you're still going to have a hundred piano students, but the cost of labor for that is going to drive that down. And so it, in, in a roundabout way, it does increase, um, uh, the, the overall growth and the percentage of that category because it's driving the expense side down, not necessarily raising yeah. the revenue side, but it can raise the revenue side because all of a sudden now the amount of floor, floor space, let's say your piano and guitar school, the amount of floor space that it takes to see those hundred piano students is going to be vastly, uh, is going to be much less than the amount of floor space it takes to teach those guitar students. Right. So then you've, yeah, you've opened up inventory for other exactly um, products you can do, and you while at the same time improving margins on that space you use that you're using exactly. for group piano. So, yeah, and these are like, you know, I mean. Those are some pretty high advanced concepts in terms of just financial fluency and how that bookkeeper can really help you find mm-hmm. um, those opportunities. But and and maybe it's not for some of our listeners are like totally we're already doing that, which is amazing if you are right. Um, but I would just say that take those sort of op- these opportunities that we were just talking about and say, okay, it's fine that I'm not going to use that information this year or next year, mm. right? Instead, just imagine having the bandwidth to be able to dig deep like that in a few years. You bring on a a good bookkeeper now and you build that relationship and you begin to show up to a, like in our case, I I have three meetings a month with the bookkeeper, right? Three meetings a month. And then at one of those meetings is always a, is a, uh, as an end of month budget versus actual report. Wow. Right? And the other two meetings are just checking in anything, anything going on, any questions around payroll, da, 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 basic things. But what happens over the course, you bring that bookkeeper on and you begin to develop that relationship. I mean, I'm only meeting with her for 30, 45 minutes um, each week. You begin to build that relationship and you get to what Daniel you're talking about, which is eventually you have a thought partner who's asking much more, uh, much richer questions than just how much does this person get paid? Mm-hmm. Eventually, that bookkeeper becomes that person who says, "I wonder what we would need to do to get our cost of labor down to about thirty-five percent from fifty percent." Any ideas? Hmm. Right. So just just sort of like if you don't take away anything else from this episode, 
please just take away the idea that you could have really an extraordinary relationship with this person, not an ordinary one. Yeah. Like they yeah. could be a really valuable partner and they don't have to be on the ground. Like Daniel said, they're, I don't even know where yours is, but mine is all the way across the country. <laughs> yeah. um, so closing thoughts, Daniel, on this fine, uh, fine question. Mm. No, I think we've covered this in a good amount of depth. And uh, uh, for, for my notes, I think we've hit everything. <laughs> How about you? Right, so, yeah, let me just finish with this because I put this in my notes um, before the sesh and I wanted to share it, which was, you know, we talked about it. Like your most valuable resource is your time, right? You and I talk about this all the time. Like if you don't allocate your time well, um, you're constantly going to be too busy and tired. And you're going to wonder why you're not getting where you need to get to um, when you thought you'd get there. But after that, it's cash. That's what we do. We, we, we transact, right? Cash is coming. Cash is going. That's basically the, you know, the blood of a business, right? So <clears throat> because your cash is the most important resource you have to fuel your business growth, and your bookkeeper will know more than anyone about how that resource is being used, they become, and I, I wrote this and I like it, they become your ally in how you allocate that resource. Mm. So they become your ally in allocation of cash. And you need that, right? Because otherwise you're going to fall back on all whatever your current money story is, which is maybe you grew up in a place where nobody ever spent a dime. So you think as long as you're not spending any money, you're doing great. Or mm. maybe you grew up in a place where you always had a backup. Your, you know, your uncle always came in and saved the day with money. And so you were like, well, I got a safety net. So in your mind, you can just keep spending, right? Who knows what your money story is? We all have one. So you need an ally. You need someone who's ready and willing to talk about cash consistently in a non-emotional way. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please... Share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.